you may you ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell, I'll tell you. I don't know. But, but it's, it's a tradition. tradition. And because, and because of, of our traditions, everyone of us knows, knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249, or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. So first of all, today, great day in school. It's right in between the holidays. There's only a couple days. Rosh Hashanah was Monday, Tuesday, and yesterday was a fast day, which we'll talk about. So that was a half a day. Today was a full day. Tomorrow is Friday, becomes a half a day. Then you got Sunday. Monday will be a day. And then it's the day before Yom Kippur. There's like no school days left before the holidays. And then after Yom Kippur, there'll be one day. And then the Sukkot holiday. So we try to do some special programs, especially in the afternoon for the kids. So they have what they call a fine arts program. And what we do is we take a day. It's a great day where... We give all the children, boys, girls, all ages, we let them get touchy-feely with, with drawing and painting and, and uh, different types of, I guess, uh, not the sewing, but they put these things in holes and pins and who knows what and, and music and dancing, all kinds of stuff in the arts to, to give them a chance to touch, to feel that there's all kinds of stuff out there. Obviously, in schools, we can't do all those things all the time. But um, we teach them that you have talents. Everyone has talents. Why don't you see if there's something here that you enjoy or is a talent of yours? If it's a talent, so, so work on it. Use it. As uh, I had to give the kickoff, um, I guess a funny story. Um, it's always important to pay attention when people are asking you for favors or asking you to speak. So, as you know, we talked about the last couple of weeks that uh, I was running or involved in running a, a very large fundraising project. So one of the principals came to me and asked, could I speak like I did a few years ago at the, and I wasn't paying attention. So in my mind, I thought she was talking about the Disabilities Awareness Program. So yesterday I'm in my office, I finally have some time to breathe, and I, I'm writing up a whole kickoff intro for the children. And she calls me. And I say, okay, um, Mrs. Principal, um, I got a great kickoff speech. It'll take about 10 minutes uh, for Disabilities Awareness Week. She says, that's great, but that's not what we're doing this week. We're doing fine arts program. I said, oh. I said, I looked at my notes. I had a speech from three years ago. Can I still use it? So we, I tweaked it a little bit. And it, anyways, it's all different children. It almost wasn't all different children. They almost had me speaking to the older children also, and they heard that speech. But um, all in all, great kickoff, great stories. I'll tell you one lesson I told the children. It's very, very fascinating. In the Shema, we say you have to love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then the next word is, is, is debatable how it translates. It's, the Hebrew word is bechol with all me'aydecha. 
The question is, what does me'odecha mean? Some say it means money. So you serve God with money, not only with your physical, but even with your, with your money, you give charity. And others say it means with your talents, that you're actually supposed to serve God with your talents. If you are a musician, make people happy. If Play at weddings. If you're a singer, become a cantor or lead the services. If you're an artist, you could write a Torah scroll. You can make artwork. You could do things uh, uh, in the synagogue. All, we all have talents in different ways. Not all of them are in the arts. We've talked about this in the past. Some of us have talents uh, in running programs, in running organizations, in running a uh, uh, charity drive. We, we, we all have different talents. And God just wants uh, that you use your talents. There's, uh, there's no point to me using somebody else's talents. God didn't give me those talents. I'm supposed to use the talents that I have. So I told the children, I said, you don't even know what your talents are. You're, you're little. You haven't, some of you haven't had a chance to even see. Maybe you know how to draw. Maybe, maybe you know colors. Maybe you're good at putting colors together. I don't know. So that's the fun part of the program. That's the program going on today. So that was really fun. I was running around for the kickoff and taking pictures and speaking to different groups. That was, that was fun. It's a really nice, just in-between, enjoyable way. We're at the beginning of the school year, and now we're going to be off for a couple of weeks because it is the code holidays. So uh, that was really a fun good way to get into the uh, the program and now the children are just running around doing whatever artwork or painting or drawing or doodling or whatever they have them do it's all all very good so that's uh, something that just happened today we got lots of things to talk about in this week's story portion we we got uh, Moses is the last day of his life um, what did he do the last day of his life what did you think you'll do the last day of your life we just finished a fast day yesterday. We'll talk about that, called Tzom Gedalia. We got, obviously, Yom Kippur coming up um, the middle of next week. That'll be the day before our next show. And, uh, okay, so let's give it a start. Let's see what we got. So, first of all, talking about art, since it's an art day anyways, it's interesting. Um, they're the last command in this week's Torah portion is to write a Torah scroll. And the idea is, if you've ever seen a Torah scroll in the writing, so if it's done well, it's beautiful. The handwriting itself is artwork. It's not photocopied. It's not, uh, not computer-generated. A Torah scroll has to be written by hand. And you pay for a beautiful handwriting. But that's the idea. As the Torah's last command happened to fit really well in this week's project, because it's artwork, so it's just something interesting to think about. And um, we also have the Sukkot holiday coming up. So what um, many schools do is the children, all ages, will make a, a project. Something could be hung on the wall, some type of poster, some type of message. Um, sometimes children will do those things that hang from the ceiling. When I was a kid, we used to make those rings. I don't know if you guys remember the rings. We used to make all those rings, and but they were made out of paper. So the first rain, the, they all collapsed. Now we laminate stuff. So I actually, I can toot my own horn after Rosh Hashanah, where my horn went quite well. That was the chauffeur, of course. Um, I actually do, these are third graders, so they actually have to, I draw a circle on an oak tag. They cut out the oak tag. I give them paper to cut out and make a collage. They glue it down. Then I give them tracers to trace the letters for different phrases they can use. They glue those down. We laminate it. So as easy as that sounds, but it's really fantastic 
for third graders because third graders, there's a lot of motor skills involved. And some children can do it faster, some can do it slower. The project takes a few different days. It's a good three, four, five-hour project. But they feel so good. They made a project, and they hang it up in the sukkah. And, and if you have a lot of boys in the family, like I have a bunch of boys, so that same project is hung up you know, on different walls. That one's mine, that one's hers, that one got ruined in the rain, so that one we took down. So, you know, you go to different people's sukkah. We'll talk about sukkah happening next week. You go to different people's sukkahs and you see the projects that were made 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but it feels good. People like it. It's really fun. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Tzom Gedalia, the fast of Gedalia. So the first question is, who was Gedalia and when did he live? That reminds me of a joke. Um, in um, in the early 1900s, there was the Bialis trials. Um, so he, the the Russian government, there were pogroms, and they were putting a Jew on trial, claiming that he needed Christian blood for the Passover holiday. I mean, it's old, made-up stuff. It's been around a long time, very anti-Semitic, um, but it was called the blood libel. The only difference was now in a, in a modern society, at least with telegraph, a little telephone, um, you could find out like what's going on with his trial. So this was like international news. People were following it. So the I guess the Russian government, whoever was running it, wanted to make it a real trial. There were famous lawyers involved. So um, the the prosecutors would bring up their their experts. So the the um, the lawyers, the Jewish lawyers, went to the first expert, and they said, so you're an expert on Talmud and on Mishnah and the oral law? Yeah, yeah, I'm a major expert. Ask me anything. They said, great. We have one question for you. Um, the question is, who was Baba Basra? Now, in Russian, Baba means grandmother. Who was Baba Basra, and where did she live? The only problem is Bob Basra is also the name of a tractate in the Talmud. So anybody who's Jewish who has any background automatically knows that it's the name of one of the tractates. And this guy thought he was asking about somebody's grandmother. So you can imagine the whole court burst out laughing. So who, so back to Gedalia. Who is Gedalia? Where did he live? When did he live? What's the story with Gedalia? So um, at the destruction of the Second Temple, so there was the... The, the, the Babylonian general, this um, Nebuchadnezzar. So he was taking a lot of Jews with him into captivity to Babylonia. But he did not want to leave the land of Israel completely desolate because everybody knows you leave areas, you don't take care of farms and land, you're going to end up with a desert and a swamp. You'll destroy the entire country. You've got to be very careful. So he appointed somebody, he needed somebody he trusted that would not rebel. So he had this great sage, his name was Gedalia ben Achikam, and he left him in charge. There were probably thousands of people that were going to take care of the land of Israel, make sure the fields are still working and they're still plowed and still being planted, just so that the country just doesn't become overrun, become a desert, become swamps, that nobody can live there, and disease. That was the plan. So this Gedalia ben Achikam has a cousin by the name of Yishmael ben Neriah, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He was not so happy that this Gedalia took over. Either he wasn't happy because he thought he should be the man in charge, 
or he wanted to rebel against this Nebuchadnezzar, which again seems a little silly because you just had your country wiped out by his armies. Like, you're rebelling again? Like, what are you thinking? But that's what the Ishmael wanted. He did not like this Gedalia, and uh, it seems he even uh, made some type of treaty with some neighboring countries that he would take over. And this Gedalia was warned. He was told this... This Yishmael wants to assassinate you. He does not like that you're in charge. Now, this Gedali was a great rabbi. And there's a law called slander, called Lashon Hara, that we do not believe. We do not listen to slander. We don't believe Lashon Hara. We don't believe it. So, uh, so, the, so he did not want to believe that this Yishmael was going to kill him, which is a little foolish. And I was, he's a great rabbi, a great sage. But on this... He he was, I guess, naive. He didn't want to believe it. And uh, now that he even invites this Yishmael to a party, either on Rosh Hashanah or the next day, that's also debatable exactly what day in the calendar it was. And um, <clears throat> so, he, so he invites him, and he gets assassinated. Now, again, I don't know what people are thinking. In other words, you wanted to take over. You wanted to rebel. Whatever you wanted to do, as soon as... This Gedai is assassinated. Everybody wakes up and says, oh, my gosh. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar finds out that we murdered his appointee, his officer, he's going to come and kill us. So everybody ran out of the country. So now, actually, it was like a 52-day reign for Gedalia. So now everybody runs out of the country to Egypt, to other places. And now, actually, is when the 70 years between the first temple and the second temple. Jeremiah says it will be 70 years from until the second temple is built. So this 70-year window now begins, and actually there was about 56 years, yeah, I believe it was 56 years, that no one, not animals, no one is living in the land of Israel, and 56 years later, people start trickling back in. So it's a fast day. So the question is, why? Like, what, what makes this? Why, why are we fasting? So great, this Gedalia was a great person. So my kids asked me, there are a lot of great people. Moses was also a great person. We don't fast on the day of his death. So he said, it's true. There are a lot of great people, and we don't fast for every great person who died. We'll be fasting every day. Uh, but a few things are happening. This is really the end. This is the final nail in the coffin for the destruction of the first temple. So that's really also part of why we're fasting. So he was a great person, and it reminds us that great, the, the loss of great people is as great as the loss as a temple. But it's not enough. It's, this was a, uh, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, this was the end. This was the end of the, of the destruction of the first temple. Now begins, now we're all out of the land of Israel. No Jews are left in the land of Israel, and nobody's left in the land of Israel. That's number one. Um, number two is there are many people that because we just had Rosh Hashanah, the high holidays, we're getting ready for Yom Kippur, where we're going to again pray and ask God for forgiveness. So, um, so 
there's reason to fast. There are people that actually try to fast 10 days. Now, you can't fast all 10 days because you can't fast the first two days of Rosh Hashanah. You also can't fast the day before Yom Kippur, so you're missing three days there. You can't fast on the Sabbath. You do Sabbath in between. So right there, you lose four days. But there are people that want to fast 10 days. They'll do four days before Rosh Hashanah, and then they'll fast each day. They'll eat at night. They'll fast each day of, uh, of this week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, so therefore, this just becomes, uh, I don't want to say an excuse, but uh, an opportunity for one more day of fasting because the purpose of fasting is and helps in the repentance process. When you're a little hungry, when you're not as comfortable as you would like to be, you're in a, you're in a better state to repent. When everything is good and I'm, I'm sitting back in my lawn chair and I'm drinking my pina colada or whatever else I'm doing, I'm having coffee with a Danish, it's a little hard to be in a repentive mode when everything is just perfect. So that's uh, another reason why we would fast on this day called Tzom, the fast of Gedalia. Okay. So once we talk about that, we really uh, want to start getting ourselves into the mode of Yom Kippur and, and what makes Yom Kippur so special. I mean, really got to keep this in mind. Yom Kippur is considered one of the happiest days of the year. Okay, so we, we've talked about it, the 15th of of. of and Yom Kippur, those are considered the happiest days in the calendar. Now, partially, those are such special days because actually it was a good day to get married. It was a day that uh, they would make shaduchim. They would uh, make, it would be a matchmaker's uh, day where they were busy to match up um, boys and girls to get them married. So that's one of the reasons. Um, but, but really, the main reason Yom Kippur is such a special day on the calendar is because God is willing to forgive us. Uh, that concept that that we can be completely forgiven, that the slate can be wiped clean, that doesn't exist. We've talked about this a bunch of times. God is not, I mean, God, a regular court. We've uh, Many of us have been to court, our traffic tickets, maybe some of us for other things. The judge is not wiping the slate clean. Even, oh, and here comes the music. We're going to talk about wiping slates clean. We're going to talk about repentance. we got lots and lots of things that you'll give it to talk about. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. Hold through the break, and we'll talk more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley.
tell you what happened. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. And we're back, and we're talking about clean slates. And in a regular courtroom, you're not getting no clean slate, even if the judge says, okay, well, we won't give you the points. Um, we'll just give you a different violation, just pay. Uh, if you ever go back for a second or third time, they have it all written down. Nothing is erased. They're just being nice to you, but it's in their records. But by God, the purpose of Yom Kippur is to give us a clean slate. There's nothing like somebody who does something wrong, and, and you, you get a, a second chance. Second, we do this every year, second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. It's amazing. It's an amazing gift, and that's a good reason. That amazing gift is a good reason that, um, that, we, that we're, it's a happy day. Yes, it's not the most comfortable day. We're not eating. We're not drinking. We're not wearing leather shoes. We're not taking a bath. We're not really rinsing off unless maybe there's some dirt or something. Um, we're in synagogue most of the day. A lot of prayers. It's a little different than your everyday life. You're not used to praying so much. It's a, it could be a more difficult day. As I get older, I appreciate the day more and more. God's right here. God says, talk, say hello. Let's have a conversation. Okay, it's a one-way conversation. But, but God's offering for me to talk. You're offering for me to talk. I'm very good at talking. I could talk all day, as some of you may have figured out. Anyways, why Yom Kippur? Why did Yom Kippur become that special day that God forgives certainly the Jewish people? That's the day God forgives. Why is the day of Yom Kippur so special? Got to go back a little bit in history. We Hopefully we've talked that in the past, but eh, everything is worth repeating. So let's, let's take it slow. Let's figure it out. So um, the Jewish people received the Torah on Mount Sinai. That takes place on the sixth or seventh day of the month of Sivan. Fast forward 40 days. The Jewish people are waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. Moses is not coming. The people get nervous. They make a golden calf, and some of them start to dance and sacrifice to it. God tells Moses, go down. Moses goes down, sees the golden calf, and he breaks the first tablets. Okay, the people realize Moses is not dead. They made a mistake. Um, Moses says, I'm going to go pray for you. Moses goes back up for another 40 days and 40 nights to pray that the Jewish people should not be destroyed. That ends uh, the, the right, well, the 29th of Av, which is uh, right before um, the, the Rosh Chodesh, or the beginning of the month of Elul. Elul is the Hebrew month that comes before the, uh, the month of Tishrei, and the first day of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah. But, so God says, okay, no problem. We're, I'm not going to destroy the Jewish people. Moses says, okay, we, we need new tablets because uh, I broke the old ones. So God says, fine, go to your tent. You'll find a whole big stone of sapphire. Go carve it out, bring it up. I'll write you new tablets. So Moses goes up again for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And the last day, when he comes back down with the second tablets, the day he comes down is Yom Kippur. That's the day, the 10th day of Tishrei, he comes back down on Yom Kippur. And, and God says on that day, I forgive the Jewish people. It doesn't mean we still didn't have to get some punishments for the golden calf. There's still punishments going on. But we were forgiven. So since Yom Kippur was the day we were forgiven from the golden calf, that became the historical day where God forgives. That's our Yom Kippur. That's where we pray in synagogue all day, and we're just asking for God to forgive us. That, that is the goal. What's fascinating is it's actually a, a positive command. It's a mitzvah to ask God for forgiveness, right? As perfect as you may think you are, I hope you don't think you're too perfect, but as perfect as you may think you are, that the 10th of Tishrei, the day of Yom Kippur, that most holy day in the calendar, that is the day that we ask God for forgiveness and he wants us to ask. It's like amazing. He's like begging and pleading with us, do me a favor, ask me for forgiveness and I'll forgive you. It's like uh, we recently ran a fundraiser, so one of our donors was supposed to go to a second donor to ask him for money. So the second donor tells me, he's got to come and ask me. So he's like, he's begging the guy, ask me for charity, and I'll give it to you. Okay, we're still working on it. But uh, in any case, so that is the history behind why Yom Kippur became the day that it is. And it is interesting, I'm not saying all Jews go to synagogue on Yom Kippur, but but the largest majority of any day the Jews will go to synagogue is going to be on Yom Kippur. Even if the rest of the year they're not so good, but everybody has this pull, everybody has this feeling, everybody understands, today is the day I gotta go. Ask God for forgiveness, he'll forgive me, start my slate all over again, and hopefully the idea of a clean slate is that if you did stuff wrong last year, you're supposed to stop doing it. It's not just that I get forgiven. So uh, I, I once heard a rabbi say, very interesting, he said, but there are certain sins, I, I know, uh, I, I try not to do it, and I try, and I end up doing it again. So who are we fooling? What's the point? Like, why, why am I doing this? So you know, first of all, it's not always true. Not always do we revert back to our old ways. Sometimes we do. So he gave a very interesting example. He says, you know, we all drive cars, and some of us have newer ones, some of us have older ones, and, you know, you finish the winter, and you got all this salt all over the place, and your car gets dirty, you take a long trip. I know right now my car is filthy. And uh, you take your car to the car wash, it comes out gorgeous. Now, two weeks later, the car is dirty again. And for some of you, it might be a week later, I guess, it depends where you live. Um, I don't wash my car too often. It's almost like a fun trip for the kids, so, like, why waste it? So, um, but if you knew, and you do know, that you're going to wash your car, and the car is going to get dirty again, why'd you bother washing it in the first place? Like, who cares? You obviously don't wash it every day, so you don't care that it's, it's, I mean, some of you care, but most of you don't care that your car is in perfect, perfect cleanliness. You don't care. So why are you doing it? So the rabbi said, because there's what to be said to get off a layer of dirt, get a layer of dirt junk and garbage off your car. Okay, let it build up again, but it's not so bad. It's a new layer, but not as bad as if you would have one layer on top of another layer on top of another layer. And maybe that's part of our attitude on Yom Kippur. Yeah, 
I got a lot of garbage. I did a lot of things. But let me clean the slate. And yeah, I'm going to get dirty again. But but it's it's new dirt. And there's what to be said, getting rid of old dirt and now dealing with new dirt. There's what to be said. I think we talked about it last week. Um, the difference between before the flood by Noah and after the flood was very fascinating. Before the flood, God didn't punish at all. He let all the dirt and all the sins pile up, pile up, higher, 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 keep piling. And then the pile was so humongous, there was no turning back. God had to destroy the world with a flood. God said, that doesn't work. He can't wait for people to figure it out. So every year, you have a chance to be forgiven. And there might be punishments that go along with the year. There'll be rewards, there'll be punishments. There'll be the weather won't be so good, you you get sick, you get a cold, you get stuck in a rainstorm, you have to fix a flat tire. There's a lot of things that happen to make sure that the pile never gets so humongous that God says, I'm done. So there's, there's what to be said in such a concept. So let me see if I can get there. Um, I put on my LinkedIn page, I wanted to know what is snuff. You know, the snuff that you take in your nose and sneeze. What does that have to do with Yom Kippur? That happens to be um, because there's not so many blessings to make on Yom Kippur. So people would actually take these smelling, these spices, this snuff, and they would make a blessing and they would and they would sneeze or whatever. And that was like something people did. But that's not my Yom Kippur story with snuff. Um, it's really fascinating, by the way. You go online, you look at the cost of a snuff box. You can pay a lot of money. Though, if you look at my LinkedIn page, the picture I put on, I, that stuff box cost $80,000. Beats me why. I'm sure someone could explain it to me, and I'm sure somebody will. Um, anyways, we'll start the story now, and if we have to, we'll finish it after the break. So um, the story is there was a, a poor man, and he, he, you know, down on his luck, and there wasn't too much food in the house, and he comes home, uh, you know, right before Yom Kippur, and and his wife berates him, well, you're no good, and you're lazy, and we have no food in the house, and why couldn't you earn a couple dollars and at least earn something so we could have a nice meal on Yom Kippur? So the guy's pretty dejected and hungry, by the way. And um, so he goes to synagogue early, and in synagogue, you know, this is leading up to the to the holiest of holy days, it's Yom Kippur, and everybody's very serious, and, and everybody's preparing for, for Yom Kippur, and people might say psalms, and there's certain prayers that people will say before, the, before the, the Yom Kippur day begins. And he figures, you know, food I didn't get, but, you know, there's that wealthy guy up front. We'll call him David. So he goes, you know, maybe David will give me a little snuff. He has that beautiful silver snuff box and that beautiful snuff. Something to charge me up before the day starts. So he goes up, and the, this David has his prayers all over his head, and he's very serious. And, uh, and our friend will call him Velvel. Velvel goes and he says, uh, excuse me, David, do you mind? Can I have a little snuff? So David, a very wealthy man, this David, he looks at Velvel and says, Velvel, this is what you're asking me at this holy time when I'm busy praying, you have nothing better to do with your life, you should be praying. So Velvel goes back to his seat, very dejected, very, very depressed. And in heaven, 
there's a storm brewing. And heaven looks down and says, poor Velvel has nothing going for him. He asked this Rebdavid for a few, for just a little, as we say, a shmek tabak is the Yiddish, a little bit of snuff. And, uh, and David couldn't give him. And here comes my music. When we come back, I have to finish a most amazing story of, of the turn of events that takes place with his snuff on Yom Kippur. You're listening to Rabbi Tzu on Let's Talk Torah. And we'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh... Uh, Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? Op- I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m., that's pretty good. Many times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into straight. a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. And we're back trying to figure out what snuff has to do with Yom Kippur. So poor Velvo is dejected. He didn't get his little bit of snuff. Uh, Reb David is being very holy and praying. But one of the things which I hope we're going to get out of the story. Holy is good. Holy is good. A day between you and God, all very good. But if we miss the point that part of our repentance is is between our friends and the importance of friends, the importance of friendship, the importance of caring for other people, when I got a great story at the end of the day, we'll talk about that, um, then you miss the boat. You miss the boat. So um, anyways, so in heaven, there's a storm brewing, and they don't like how this Ribdovid was treating Velvel. So he said, you know what? This year, we're going we're gonna to turn the tables. Our, our, our schlepper Velvel is going to become the wealthy guy, and our wealthy guy, Ribdovid, is going to become the poor guy. And let's see what happens. Sure enough, the day after Yom Kippur, um, somebody sends somebody to Velvel. He tries another business. Uh, you know, he's tried so many business ventures. He tries another one, and this one starts to work. He starts to make some money. 
Meanwhile, on the other side of town, uh, David, every business deal he gets involved in, he loses money. And his money is siphoning out, and Velvo's money is exploding, and by the end of the year, it is a complete turn of events, and Velvo is now the wealthy man. David is the poor schlepper. That's the way life goes, unfortunately. And... Uh, Things are looking up for Velvo. And again, in those towns, the wealthy person makes the decisions. He's involved. He's important. The poor people, they push him to the back of the synagogue, and you hope they don't get in your way. So uh, so David knows he must have done something wrong. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, what, what gives over here? Like, how did I lose all my money? Like, what happened? So he goes to his Rebbe, and he says to his Rebbe, he says, uh, I don't understand what happened. I was such a wealthy man. I was such an important man. And last year, everything went haywire. Okay, so I was talking to him, and he says, uh, did anything else in town change? He says, yeah, crazy thing. Velvel, the loser, um, is as well wealthy as I used to be. It's like he, It's like we switched places. He became me. I became him. So Rebbe says, did you have any doings with this Velvel that maybe you deserve to lose your money and he deserved to get your money? So he says, I, mean, I never talked to the guy. Like, I have nothing to do with him. When would I ever? I'm sure if he asked me for charity, I gave it to him. When would I have any dealings with him? Like, then he said, yeah, you know what? I remember. He came to me. Can you imagine this? He came to me the holiest time of the year, getting ready for Yom Kippur. He asked me for a little snuff. And I, and, I, and I told him, I said, it's not appropriate. You should be praying now. You shouldn't be asking me for snuff. So the Rebbe said, okay, now we know the problem. The problem is that he asked you for something, and you thought it was more important to pray when it would have been more important to help the guy out. It's sad, but uh, heaven has decided that he's getting your money. He got all your money, and you got his lack of money. So David now realizes he did something wrong. So he says, um, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I fix this? There's not much of a, there's no good way for you to fix it. But if there's ever a time where you ask Velver for snuff and he refuses you, you have a claim back on heaven, I want my money back. So uh, not too many times and opportunities were going to come up. So David is now the poor schlepper in town. Velvel's the wealthy man. And a few years go on, and it's because Velvel's such a wealthy man, um, one of his daughters gets a nice match for poster, another wealthy family. Of course, the whole town is invited because he's one of the leaders of the community now. He's a wealthy man. And everybody is standing under the wedding canopy, and, and they're in the middle of the, the, uh, the, the, the ceremony. And while Velvel's holding one of the documents, so David figures, this is my chance. He's so busy. He's so involved with his family. I bet I can ask him now, and he'll just brush me off, because that's what I would have done. So David runs up under the canopy, and he says to Velvel, can I have a little snuff? Which, again, if you saw the guy, you'd give him a kick and send him down the stairs. Velvel immediately says, of course, of course, David, here. Here, he takes out his box offers some snuff during the ceremony while everybody's watching and all the important people are there and Velvel just says, here, David, of course. And David faints on the spot. 
he, they try to revive him. They move to the side. He said, I'll talk to you later. Anyway, sometime after the, uh, the ceremony, Velvel goes to check on David, and he says, uh, what happened? Like, what's the matter? What can I do for you? And David is so embarrassed by how he had treated Velvel and how he was trying to get his money back. And he sees the difference between somebody who cares about other people and somebody who could himself could care less about other people at the end of the day. He tells him the story. So Velvel says, look, now's the wedding. Let's go speak to the rabbit tomorrow. Let's see what he tells us to do. So they go back to the rabbi, goes through the whole story, and the rabbi says, to make the story a happy ending, he says, you know, Velvel was really David's money. He did something wrong. He obviously realizes what he did wrong. You have more than enough money. Um, why don't you guys just make a partnership, split all the money, um, everyone's learned their lesson, and life will be better for everybody, and so they did. That's my story with Snuff and Yom Kippur. But it's a, it's a great lesson to remember that, that we're coming up to the high holidays, we're coming up to the Yom Kippur holidays, and a lot of us will be sitting and praying and, and talking to God. But it, one thing you should keep in mind, one some, you know what God wants? God wants we should be friendly to other people, we should be nice to other people, we should take care of other people. Of course, don't get me wrong. Of course, God wants you should follow all his rules and regulations. That goes without saying. But besides... The, and as there's like two parts to the package. There's what I have to do between me and God, and there's what I have to do between me and my fellow man. And you don't get to just pick one of those two. You really got to do both. So God wants both. So yes, be holy and pray and do everything God tells you, but don't forget to be, as we say a mensch, be a person, be nice to other people, be friendly. And uh, and we'll go a long way. It'll make the world an amazing, amazing place. And amazingly, um, I've gone two and a half segments talking about Yom Kippur, and I did not even get a chance to touch on this week's Torah portion. And there's some really important stuff I wanted to touch on it. So I asked you earlier, um, what is Moses doing on the last day of his life? You know, most people, if they're even well enough to do anything— you know, if, they, if a person were to know that today is the last day of my life, and he would be healthy and strong, but he knew today is the last day, if we all think about it for a second, we're going to be with our spouses and our children and maybe our grandchildren, and we're probably going to be telling them all types of highfalutin philosophical things we've learned throughout our life, or we're giving them hugs, or we're giving them blessings. We're, that kind of stuff is what a normal person would be doing on the last day of his life. Moses is busy. He has to give the reins of leadership over to Joshua. And the Torah is finally being finished. We're at the end of the Torah. Moses has to finish writing the Torah. He finishes writing the Torah, and he gives that Torah scroll to his family, his tribe, to the tribe of the Levites. And he says, okay, you're going to guard the Torah, and they'll make copies from this Torah. And the other tribes say, hey, you only give your tribe a Torah scroll? What are we, chop liver? And I like chop liver, by the way. But how come you're not giving um, us a Torah scroll? So Moses now goes and writes, the last day of his life, another 12 Torah scrolls. That is a good trick because that's a lot of writing and it's not just calligraphy. You know, it's not just writing in a fancy, it's like artwork we talked about earlier on each piece. And he writes an additional 12 scrolls. He has obviously no time to be dealing with his family and friends to say goodbye. That is not 
what Moses is doing on the last day of his life. He actually wrote, he finished one Torah scroll, he writes an additional 12 Torah scrolls to give to each tribe. Now, we talked earlier, that is the command, by the way, the last command in the Torah is to write a Torah scroll. Why do you need a Torah scroll? Because certainly in those days, that was the only book. Right now we have commentaries on, on top of commentaries. We have the oral laws since been written and commentaries on the oral law and commentaries on top of the commentaries. And we got law books. We got, we got, I mean, rooms and rooms and rooms of books, if you would like. But originally it was one book. And if you don't have a Torah scroll, how are you going to know what God wants? You got to have a Torah scroll to know what God wants you to do. And you study it, and you study it, and you understand what all the words mean, and the, and you get one line that tells you what the command is, and you've already been taught orally what the rules and regulations are, and you have what to talk about, and you have what to discuss, and that's what you'll spend your day doing, studying the Torah. And again, if everybody understands they have to have and own a Torah scroll, I don't say everybody has to write one. Like, I could never write one. But, um, so pay for one. So that, that's what you studied from. Now, times have changed. So uh, the rabbis say you don't must write or hire somebody to write a Torah scroll. You can just buy books. Just buy a, a Bible. There you have it, because the purpose was to study. And there's so many commentaries out there and so many explanations, so buy them. And you can buy them in any language you want. They, they got Torahs in any language you can imagine. They got commentaries in piles of different languages. Because the point is, and the purpose is, you should know what God wants. You study his Torah, so study. You have the book. So that, that's, that's the last command in the Torah, and this is what Moses was, for the most part, busy doing the last day of his life. Also, interesting enough, he calls Joshua over, and he says, you know, Joshua, you know you are the leader. You are taking over. You're going to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. This is my last day here. I'm dying. So any questions you have, now is the time to ask. I can take care of anything you need. This is your chance. Go ahead and ask what you need, and I'll, I'll answer any questions you still have. Joshua gives the wrong answer. He says, Moses, you know I didn't budge from your tent. Everything you know, I know. I got it all. It's clear by me. I got it. Um, nothing to worry about. You know what happens to the guy who says nothing to worry about? So that's what happens. So Joshua actually forgets 3,000 laws. And when the Jewish people go into the land of Israel and they, and they realize that Joshua's forgotten 3,000 laws, we've got a problem. Because you can't call up God and ask him, um, I forgot some of these rules and regulations. So if you have a way to figure it out, which they were able to, if you can figure out the laws from looking at verses and looking at words and looking at extra letters and, and, and different different rules and regulations, how to figure out laws. Okay, there was a person that brought back a whole bunch of them. But otherwise, we got a problem, and the people were so mad at Joshua, they were ready to kill him. They said, this was your responsibility, and he forgot him because little teensy drop of haughtiness to say, Moses, I studied with you forever. I got it all. You never got it all. You never have it all. You never remember everything, and, uh, and that was tragic that he forgot all those laws. Again, many of them they were able to bring back. But again, over history, you know, there was about a thousand-year period of time 
where no laws were forgotten. For Moses, there was always somebody that could go all the way back and say he knew everything. But after all the exiles and the wars and the traveling and the and just different things that happened, we started to forget. And then you get the first arguments that come up amongst the sages. And then, of course, we have a whole oral law filled with discussions and arguments because so much was forgotten over all those years. Here comes my music. We're going to try a new segment when we come back, a new old one. We got a letter of the week to do. I got a fantastic story to end with. So hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we're going to be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the bat cemetery. It's got a cord. I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Budget movie version. 60s TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on newradiomedia.com. <clears throat> it's geek approved. And we're back. And as I told you, we're revamping a little bit how we do the last segment. We're going to experiment. We'll see how we like it. We like experimenting. But of course, we don't change our letter of the week and our word of the week. So hopefully right behind me is our latest letter. As I told you last week, we're getting towards the end of the alphabet. We're up to the letter Kuf. It's actually, um, it's a, this letter is made of two pieces. There's above the line would be, I guess, an inverted L um, or an R, but backwards. And then below it is a long stick. It's called a kuf. It makes a K sound. And I thought an appropriate word this week with the Yom Kippur coming. And by the way, the K of Kippur is not the same letter as this kuf. Um, but I thought of the word of kina. Kina means jealousy. Kina God says sometimes that people do idol worship. He's 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 a kanoi. We talked about uh, Pinchas was a was a zealot. 
But generally speaking, the word kinna, the word jealousy, is not a good um, attribute or a talent that anybody wants. Certainly, all the things we've been talking the whole day about about gel, about about friendship and the importance of friendship and uh, the story I told you about snuff and Yom Kippur. Jealousy is the last thing we want. That's the last thing God wants to see is people are jealous. And jealousy, I don't want to say opposite, but jealousy is the opposite of friendship. There's no friendship when there's jealousy. And when there's friendship, there's no jealousy. And it's a beautiful thing. And again, with Yom Kippur upon us, we want to get rid of all jealousy. As a, If you want to know how to get rid of jealousy, simple. As soon as you recognize that everything you got is because that's what God wants you to have, and everything your friend has is because God wants him to have it. What am I jealous for? And a better way, which will be a story for another day, is um, if you're really a good friend, if you love your friend, you can't be jealous. I mean, parents love children. Whoever heard of a parent who's jealous of a child? I mean, I'm sure you, some of you have heard of it. That would be a terrible thing. Okay. So now I would like to get into my uh, uh, a new segment we're going to try with our trending news of, uh, and it's kind of hard to find trending news because everything is politics. And you people know that politics is not my thing. So with my digging and searching, I did find something fascinating in trending news. What, are you kidding me? You're kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. I have no long I have no idea how long this goes for, but you gotta be kidding me. You're gonna hear this story, you gotta be kidding me. It's unbelievable. So in the Netherlands, um, there was a bird that was actually arrested for shoplifting. Now it seems the bird was on top of the shoulder of the shoplifter, but the bird was arrested. And the strange part was if you saw this picture, um, when they took a picture of the bird in the police station, they put one of those black bars across the bird's eyes so you shouldn't be able to identify the bird. So um, kind of a silly story. But there's always a good takeaway, even from the silly stories. And that is like this. As a, you know, we have Rosh Hashanah right behind us. The world was judged. All our deeds are taken into account for it. Large, small. So here's something interesting to note. Uh, we talked about the flood earlier today. Um, the animals that were allowed onto Noah's Ark, interesting enough, had to be, well, for lack of a better term, we'll use pure birds. What do I mean by pure birds? I mean that those birds, that those animals, any animal that came onto Noah's Ark did not try to mate with a different species. It seems for whatever reason, different animals are trying to mate with different species. God doesn't like that. It's not even normal. It's not the nature. But animals were doing it. Why were the animals doing it? Because the animal kingdom um, reacts to humankind. If humans are good and doing what they're supposed to do, then the animals behave. As soon as humans are sinning and not doing what we're supposed to be doing, it actually has an effect on animals. So if it's possible that that bird actually was shoplifting, um, and birds are thieves, by the way, uh, but if you want to blame the birds for shoplifting, um, at the end of the day, it's probably our fault. So there's the thought, uh, a Torah thought on this week's trending news, and we'll try to throw in something entertaining like this every week. Now... I want to end with a story somebody sent me on LinkedIn. You know, I like LinkedIn. So, beautiful story. Lots to learn from the story. Uh, the story is told by a gentleman who's sitting in a booth, and uh, they're sitting across from an older gentleman, and the server comes, and he actually gets down 
to eye level with the older gentleman who slowly and as loud as he could explains what he wants and the server helps him and he's looking at him. And um, it took him a few minutes to take care of everything. And then the, he sees the older gentleman wants to have a conversation. Ah, so the server sits down with him and they talk for a few minutes. And the older gentleman says, you know, I'm 91 years old. I'm a little lonely. I don't have people to talk to too often. I, I lost my hearing in, in one of the wars. And it's really very thoughtful of you to take you know, time out of your busy time, your, your busy day. You're supposed to be serving. It's really kind and thoughtful of you that you're, that you're listening to me. And the server, whose name was Dylan, says, oh, I love talking to you. I enjoy it. Um, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, it's, it's no problem if you need to take a couple extra minutes to talk to me and get the thought out. So, um, so Dylan now gets up to go take care of his order, and the, the person sitting at the booth is trying to get his attention to say that he would like to pay for the gentleman's meal. And, uh, but before he can get his attention, a different guy gets Dylan's attention and says, um, I'd like to pay for his meal. And Dylan says, you're too late. Somebody took care of it already. Um, on Dylan's break... Dylan actually went back and sat down with the gentleman, and they schmoozed for a while. It's really a very heartwarming story. You know, one of the things I thought about when I heard the story was, um, you know, we all watch others take the initiative to do something nice, to be nice to people, to talk to people, to give people the time of day, to pay attention to people. And then we sort of want to, like, share in that guy's good deed. Oh, we'll pay for the meal. Well, now I see you doing a good deed. Let me jump in. So I always wonder, like, you know, sometimes um, you got to initiate. You got to be the person who takes a minute to pay attention. Forget about the people in the street. Pay attention to your wife, to your spouse. Pay attention to your children. Um, it becomes a beautiful thing. It becomes a, a beautiful way of life, like Dylan. As Dylan understood, this guy needed someone to talk to him. So he gave him a couple minutes to talk to him. He took the initiative. And again, we're talking about Yom Kippur and the holidays. And if we want to be friendly and we want to be nice and we want God to look at us and say, look how good that person is, then you got to go ahead and initiate. And here comes my music. And... Hi, so many people to thank, so many things to do. Anyways, thank you, my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you, my wonderful production team. We got Kelsey, Steven, Angel, Zach back there. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Tour and NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.